I hope your heart has been uh, reoriented a little bit. Have you been reminded and convinced again that there's nobody greater than our Savior? Do you know that? Isn't He worthy of our praise? Come on, let's give Him praise today. So here's what's going to happen. This, this God, this Jesus actually spoke to us. And uh, so we want to hear from him this morning. We're not moving away from this at all. We're just going to continue to worship him, lift his, high, his name high. But we also want to hear from him this morning. So I'm just going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. We're just going to ask that the Lord's really going to speak to us, kind of move in our hearts a little bit. Uh, I hope that our hearts have been softened up and, and, and we're willing to just say, okay, you're it. You're better than anything this world has to offer. You are Lord. You are King. You are holy. I'm not. I need to hear from you today. And, uh, and we want to be obedient to him, not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. So why don't we pray and we'll ask the Lord to do that in our hearts even now. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for giving us your son. And it's because this Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that therefore you have highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You get the praise because you are worthy of it. And Lord, we thank you that you have written a book. You have made yourself known to us. And Lord, as your people, we've been reminded, we've been convinced again, and Lord, we want to bow our knees in, in humble submission to you. We're asking that you would even meet with us and speak to us now. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. I pray that today we would walk out of here changed. We would look more like our Savior, Jesus. And we're just convinced that that's going to be pleasing to you. And so we pray that you would get the glory in everything that is said and done here today. Lord, the messenger is nothing. The message is everything. And we want to hear from you even now. So do that as we open up our Bibles. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't you find your seats and you can take your Bibles and open them. Go with me to the book of 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on uh, the Bible app. Uh, you can go to events there. You can follow, follow along with us, or you'll notice that our ushers are coming around. They would love to give you a physical copy. We want you to have God's Word in front of you. We love to study this book. We are finishing up this series that we've called Uncommon Community. I got to tell you, uh, I, I was kind of debating whether I was going to do this message as a, as, as a standalone, but the more I got into it, the Lord was really convincing me that now, this is part of the kind of community that we are pursuing. Our goal is to be a healthy community of disciples that is growing in fruitfulness and in maturity. Are, are we doing what we say we're all about? We want to make disciples. And, and uh, so I think this is really appropriate for us. And so uh, we've entitled the message today, Financial Planning in Uncommon community. We're, gonna, we're just asking this question. How do disciples of Jesus handle our finances? How do we handle our money? Now, now most of us are, are willing um, to go to uh, some sort of a financial 
advisor, a financial planner, and I think there's a whole lot of wisdom in that. But if we are going to be an uncommon community, I I just wonder what would happen if we were uh, willing to let this book be the foundation for our financial planning. What if we said, instead of just letting Jesus be kind of an advisor, it's like, now you just tell me how I'm supposed to do this. And I want to be responsive to that. The Bible says a lot about money. But the most important thing it says is that how we view and how we use our money reveals what's going on in here. In fact, Jesus said that. You can see it on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How you view and how you use your finances reveals your heart because it tells us what's most important about you. It tells us what you're worshiping. Amazon knows that, don't they? That's why they're tracking all of your search and your spending habits because I I see someone who works for Amazon. He knows this is the way it works, right? They they just want to know all about you. They want to know what's going on, and they they might know more than you know about yourself and what you want. That's why they are tracking that kind of thing. Well, guess what? Jesus knows it too, and he wants your heart. Let me just get this out on the table because you need to understand this. Jesus does not need your money. doesn't need your money. But he is after your hearts. And if giving and finances are a part of becoming mature disciples and it reveals something about our hearts, then we need a message from God's Word today. We need to make sure that our lives are lining up with this. And I just wonder, what if we were a community at Harvest where we, we put our money where our mouth is? We didn't just say we love Jesus. We don't just say we trust in Jesus. We don't just say, hey, we're on mission for you. We demonstrate it. We, put, uh, we, we, we let the, the gospel kind of loosen our, our grip on what we hold dear, and we let Jesus tell us how to handle our finance. We get excited about investing in the advancement of the gospel and making disciples. So, so here's what I'm going to do today. I'm actually going to, hey, hey, Brian and Kay, can I ask you? I know you guys are like our ushers. I, I, need, I need you to help me out. Um, we're going to pass something out here. I want everybody, uh, you, you take one, everybody gets a penny today. So, so we're just going to start passing out money. I want everybody to have this. Please do not go around telling people that, hey, if you come to Harvest Fairfax, they just like, give out money on Sundays. It's pretty awesome. Do not do that. Uh, but I want you to have a little bit. And I know a lot of you are like, it's a penny. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? I just like throw this in the trash. It doesn't really work. I, I know it's kind of like debated whether we even need pennies in our society today. Well, this is not, I, I, my point is not that I'm like making you richer today. But I wanted to give you kind of so, something tangible, okay? This, this is not one cent, okay? That's, the, the, that's not the value here. Today, this represents your money. This represents your finances, your riches, all right? Let's make sure everybody got one. Nobody, nobody's stealing two, okay? Let's make sure everybody, we're, we're sharing here today. So, so I've got your tangible representation. Let me go ahead and give you uh, uh, the big idea as we dive into 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me give this to you. If you are taking notes, here it is. We could say it this way. Disciples view and use their riches wisely. Okay, if you love and trust Jesus, then you look at this differently than the rest of the world does. If you're a disciple of Christ, then you use this differently than the rest of the world. 
So, so here we are, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's get into it, verse 17. Do you see it there? Verse 17, chapter 6. Paul says to us, as for the rich. Now, who's he talking about? Come on, tell me. He's talking about the rich people. And i got to stop here because a lot of people in this room suddenly are like, man, well, he's not talking about me because I'm certainly not rich. This is going to be an easy Sunday. I like Sundays like this. It's going to be for a, a message for somebody else. I don't have to listen to this. I can kick back because I, I, I am not rich. Well, i got news for you. Uh, I, I think, and I'm, I want to try to prove this really quickly, but, quickly, but I think that um, almost all of us in here are actually really rich. It is not lost on me that I am a rich pastor shepherding a rich church. Okay, let me build a little bit of a case for that really quick. Uh, one of the evidences that I would say is the numbers back it up. I was actually doing a little bit of research this week on the median household income in Fairfax County. Do you know the median household income in Fairfax County? The median household income is $113,000. Now, for some of you, if you're like, oh, that's a lot, and others of you are like, yeah, that sounds about right. That is the median household income for Fairfax County. Now, I plugged that into this website called, called globalrichlist.com. If you make $113,000, this will tell you uh, how, how, like, comparatively how rich you are. If you make $113,000, you are in the top 0.08% richest people in the world. So, so that's 100 people right there. You're, you're not even just like in the 1%, 0.08%. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't make that much money. I'm not that bad. Well, listen, let me, let me, let me do it this way. I, I went to the, the federal poverty level, uh, the, the, the current federal poverty level for a household of two, which incidentally is the average for Fairfax County. Uh, it, right now, it, the, the, the federal poverty level is $16,240. Now, that would be incredibly hard to live on in Fairfax County, but maybe that's there. But if you are only making $16,000, then you are still in the top 6 to 7% richest people in the world. In an article by Forbes.com, it said the, the a typical person in the bottom 5% of the American income distribution is still richer than 68% of the world's inhabitants. And so, so I, I get that like, being rich is relative, uh, but despite what you might feel, comparatively, we are very rich. The first evidence is just the numbers. The second would be uh, experience. Raise your hand if you have ever traveled to a country that has made you appreciate the standard of living that we have come to enjoy and potentially taken advantage of here in the United States. I mean, like most of us have been there. We've seen it. And so it's kind of hard for us to understand survival because most of us think about and budget for things above the basics of food and shelter and clothing. We're talking about, man, we've got smartphones and I've got like 10, 20 plus shirts in my closet. We're driving eco-friendly cars and we own our own place in Northern Virginia or you eat out occasionally or you've got streaming services you got Apple Music and Netflix and Hulu or Amazon or other devices that you're using or you, you, you're able to take at least one vacation a year. My, my point is this. If God is going to say, as for the rich, I think this is actually a word from God for us today. Is that fair? So here's what it says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I want to give you two principles from this text for godly financial planning, okay? Here's, here's one. Note this. Don't let money fool you. Don't let money fool you. I want you to notice what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say is, like, okay, so I got a message for the rich. What he's not saying is being rich is evil. You, you just need to, you need to give it all away, and you need to become poor. That's what we would call asceticism, where we've got this extreme aversion and no indulgences. We don't need to have anything. That is not how disciples of Jesus view and use their money. But he is giving us a warning, isn't he? So what does he say? He says, charge them not to be haughty. That, that word in the King James is translated high-minded, which I think is actually a really good way of saying it because in, in essence it means you think highly of yourself. The NAS says you are conceited. It's, it's pride. Now, now think about how this works. It costs money to, uh, to, to keep up with the trends and to maintain a quality lifestyle, doesn't it? And have you ever, if we, can we just be honest, have you ever felt a little bit of like confidence when, when you walk out of the house and you're wearing or you're using a, a brand that you know is either like trendy or respected? You know what I'm saying? Like you walk out of the house, like I got my Nikes on today. I feel good about myself. I'm wearing pink or I know that like I got my outfit from Forever 21. So at least I know I'm up with the times or it's your phone. You got to keep up with the newest phone. I got, some of you already have the iPhone 8. You got to keep up, right? You can't have a flip phone anymore. We got to be able to keep up with the times. This stuff is changing constantly. Or even headphones. I don't have an iPhone 8. And so this has already been going through my head. I'm going to look like an old fogey pretty soon when I show up at Starbucks and my earbuds are still attached to my phone with a cord right? Like we're, we're doing away with cords or, or you got to have like the big beats by Dre. And so it's kind of embarrassing. I don't have that. But if I did have that, man, I'd feel a whole lot better about myself. Or, or maybe it's your car. Maybe, maybe it's the vehicle that you drive. I think about, uh, maybe it was about two years ago that uh, Carissa and I, uh, we, for a little season, we had this junky little minivan and we traded in our minivan for a Honda Pilot, which even now, that, that's getting old, but it did wonders for my self-importance uh, because no self-respecting man drives a minivan into work. We know that. I mean, you have to turn in your man card if you're driving a minivan into work. But I've told you this. Carissa would try to help me out. She was trying to, like, bolster my self-esteem in there, so she said, hot dads drive minivans. And, and so I would, like, I'd, I'd have to, like, psych myself up before every day of work and be like, okay, hot dads drive minivans. Hot dads. And, but, but honestly, at some point two years ago, I was like, enough. I can't do this anymore. No more, babe. We're getting out of it. We're getting an SUV. I'm going to feel a little better about myself rolling into work. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the community that you can afford to live in. See, oftentimes money can make us feel self-important. But then watch what happens. We actually start uh, instinctively uh, comparing and judging others by their clothing or their possessions or whether they can afford to keep up with us and, and, and do what we can do. Like, I wish we could, like, see what's going through your mind. Like, what, be honest, what was going through your mind the last time you saw somebody who was still using an iPhone 5? You're like, man, I, 
I had that phone like four years ago, man. Come on, keep up. This is embarrassing, right? Or, or you, you notice somebody's outfit, and you, you're like, I saw that at Walmart the other day. Like, so, so, so what I'm saying is we, we, we recognize these things. And a lot of times our stuff and, and what money can get us makes us feel a little bit more important. My stuff gets in my head, and I, think, I start thinking I'm the stuff. What God is saying to us this morning is, don't let this fool you. Does this make you any more important? Does this make you any better than anybody else? No. The gospel blows that stuff up, doesn't it? The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus didn't save you because he's like, man, if I could get that guy on my team, he'd like bankroll the whole Great Commission. That's not why he saved you, is it? He saved you, he saved me, merely out of his grace. And it's grace that reminds me not to let this mess with my thinking, tricking my mind, and making me think that I'm more important or that I am more necessary than anybody else. So, so don't let this fool you. And, and then he gives us one more charge here. Don't let them set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It's uh, pretty easy to let this fool you into thinking that I'm okay as long as I got this. I'm going to keep it close, and, and, and uh, as long as I feel like it's there for me, everything's going to be all right. Can I, can I tell you, if, if that's the way you look down at that and you see it in your hand, you feel like, man, as long as I have it, I'm good. If that's the way you view money, that is toxic to your financial planning. Don't ask money to make you happy or even to maintain your happiness. You're asking it to do something that it can't do. Where, where, where my mood is, is tied directly to my stuff or my portfolio's performance or, or what I've got sitting in my checking account right now. Or I'm, I'm, I start thinking like, man, if I could just get that raise, my life would be so much better. Or, or, or if I could uh, get that, that timeshare. Or, or man, if I, if I just want my kids to be able to have a big Christmas. I want them to have a lot of stuff. Or if we could take the, the Disney trip and the cruise. Or if I could upgrade my, my phone and upgrade my car and upgrade my TV. I could indulge in a a little treat yourself with my wish list this week. Like, like I just want to get a little bit more. That's going to make me feel better. And if I'm, if I'm like wrestling right now and, and, and I'm feeling the pressure because I got debt or, or I'm struggling in life, just a little bit more of this, it'll make it all go away. It, it'll make me feel a whole lot better. And, and what Paul is saying is, look, look, look at your riches. Don't don't, um, don't look at it as wrong. It's, it's not evil, okay? A, a few verses before this in, in verse 10, uh, verse 10 he said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You've heard that before. He doesn't say money is the root of all kind of evil. It's the love of money. See, money is not evil, but it is very dangerous because it can quickly become your love and your desire and you start to trust in it. And the danger of having too much is that you stop trusting the Lord because I don't think I need him. You ever, um, you ever gone to the grocery store after you've like stuffed yourself silly at a restaurant? You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's just imagine like you go to like Texas Roadhouse. I love me some Texas Roadhouse. You go to Texas Roadhouse and, and they bring out those rolls. 
You know what I'm saying? Those rolls. And you start eating those rolls, and you get about eight in, and, you're, and, and the waitress, you're like, you might as well just keep bringing baskets to that. So you got like three or four baskets of rolls. You finish those off, and then she brings you a plate that's like twice the size of your head, and somehow you finish all of that. And then you're like rolling out of the restaurant, paying for your gluttony, and somehow you end up in a grocery store. When you feel that full and you're in a grocery store, nothing looks appetizing. You're looking at burritos, and you're like, oh, barf. Like, like, that would have looked great otherwise. Like, that's why everybody knows you don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry, right? Because when you go when you're hungry, everything looks good. You're like, saltine crackers, that looks amazing. We should get that for dinner, right? But nobody, you don't do that. But when you're going through the grocery store and you are packed full, nothing looks good. So this can dull your senses to the needs of your soul. And you start feeling like, I'm, I'm so full. I'm good. I'm good, God. Sometimes you forget he's even there. I got what I need. This is going to satisfy me. This makes me feel safe. This, this makes me feel secure. And what Paul is saying is th- those, those riches, it's, it's the uncertainty of riches. Uncertain means you can't count on it. You can lose it all so quickly, right? An investment might go bad. A hurricane or a forest fire can wreak havoc. A doctor's diagnosis can alter your plans. Things that are completely outside of your control, and in one moment, that safety net that you didn't even realize you were trusting, it's gone. He's saying, like, it's uncertain. In fact, that's how he started the verse. Look back at it, verse 17. He says, as for the rich... In this present age, that means now. Like, you might have a lot of money now, but it's only for a short time while you're here on earth. And how many of you know that you can't take anything with you when you die? So, I I would think that I could make a biblical case to say it is wise to save. It's wise to invest. It's wise to budget. It is wise to plan ahead. But don't let this fool you into thinking that your hope lies in what you have in your riches. Instead, he says, set your hope on God. And I don't want to set my hope on something that, that I could lose, something that's just temporary, that's, that's going to burn. I want to set my hope on the person of Christ. He is unchanging. He is eternal. And if I have him, it doesn't matter what I have or don't have. In Christ, I have everything. It reminds me of a guy in the Old Testament. His name was Job. You ever heard the story of Job? Job was this guy, and he's got a whole book written for him. And um, the, the story goes, he was a really wealthy man. And all at once, he lost all of his property, and all of his kids died. Like our worst nightmares confirmed, right? He's living it. But look at what he said. I have it on the screen here. Job chapter 1, verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. So, so that's somebody that just understands, like, uh, I didn't bring anything. I'm not taking anything with me. So, like, this is, all, this is all just temporary. But then watch this. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's, he's worshiping. And, and some of you might be thinking, like, man, if I, like, if I lost everything, if I lost all that, I don't know that I'd be blessing the name of I might have a few choice words to say to God. I don't know that I'd be able to do that. It might be. Because in your heart, 
You're putting your hope in what you have to make you happy and to make you feel secure. But disciples of Jesus, we don't look at this that way anymore. He's changed our view of our finances and our riches. And now we, we, we trust. We, we, we know we can't trust this. But when he does give us, because it says right there, he richly provides everything, we enjoy it. And we're thankful. But don't let this fool you. Let me give you the second principle for godly financial planning. Note this. Give generously to invest wisely. Give generously to invest wisely. Verse 18, he says, dare to do good, to be rich in good works. Like, don't kick back and sit on what you got, okay? That's like a call to action here. And, and, and he says to be generous and ready to share. That is at the heart of financial planning for our uncommon community. Disciples who have put their hope in God and we recognize the, the generous, ge generosity of our Savior. He's the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, he said in verse 17. And so because of that, we're not tied to this. We're able to be thankful and content and then we can't wait. We've, we've got this eagerness to extend the same generosity that we have received to others. And so what happens is the gospel starts to loosen our grip. Everybody take the, take the penny that you got, put it in your hand. Because here's what happens. This is what happens when, when sin is motivating your financial planning. You just put a fist around that. This is what happens when sin, I'm like holding on to this tight. I can't let this go. This is mine. I need more of this. I, I earned this. I can't live without this. But now the gospel starts to Loosen the grip, and I can open my hand. I hold it out, and it's like, this, this is yours. Thank you. Thank you for what you've given. And now I'm able to give generously. And, and then he says, also, ready to share. That phrase is actually one verb, in, uh, one, one word there in the Greek, and it's the same word uh, that, that, it, that comes from the word fellowship. Reminding us that like, the gospel has changed and shifted my thinking. The focus is not on me and loving myself, but on loving others. That's the example that we have in Christ, in our Savior. And it's also the kind of community that he is building in his church. So it's a reminder for us to use our finances, use our money, what we have for others in community. And I'm telling you, a community that is generous and ready to share, that's an uncommon community. And what we're pursuing here giving is just discipleship 101. This is like some of the basic stuff. And I got to tell you, like, I, I, I wrestled even, like, preaching this message. And at first, I was like, man, I don't want to talk about that. Because, you know, there's, like, they're, they're, they're just going to think that this is all, like, self-serving, and this is just some big money grab by the, by the church. But as the Lord really starts impressing this upon me, if we really care about disciples and we want to see healthy, mature growing disciples in our church. This is a part of that. I want you to know I'm praying for you in this area because we want to grow in how we use our finances. So if we're going to talk about giving, let me just answer a couple of questions that I know are coming to your mind. All right, let's just get it out there. First question is this. All right, I got to give. How much should I give? Is that not what you were thinking? All right. How much do I got to give here? Well, has anybody heard the word, uh, you ever heard the word tithing? 
Anybody ever heard this word, tithe? Yes. Okay, so this is kind of a word we throw around in the church. And, and where does that come from? Let's, kind of, uh, let, let, let's get a little bit of clarity on what we mean by that. Tithing is really a biblical word. It comes right out of the Old Testament. It's in the law of Moses in the Old Testament required God's people to give 10% of everything they had back to the Lord. And that's an example that we have in the Old Testament. In fact, it was even Abraham did that before Moses was even on the scene. And then in the New Testament, I just want you to know this, Jesus does not discourage it. Uh, Look at this on the screen, Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus said this, but woe to you Pharisees for you, there's the word, tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's like he, it kind of seems to assume that it's expected. And so because of that, there are a lot of believers that teach that, that tithing is an enduring command that we have to follow as Christians. Like you you got to give uh, 10% of everything you've got. And I would say that those that teach that, they are very sincere. I do not think that they are being legalistic just because they say that. I don't think they're heretics. I've been blessed by their ministry. I'm very thankful for them. I get what they're saying, but I would say this. We are not under the law. We're not under the law. Our, our, we, we are under grace. Our faith is not a list of rules that we have to follow in order to be right with God. Jesus has set us free. But here's what happens. When, when, when Jesus has set us free, now he is my Lord. He is my King, and I want to obey him. I want to do what he says, and guess what he commands? He says, be generous. And so if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then there ought to be an eagerness in my heart. Like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be, how can I grow in that? How, how can I get better at this? I want to be generous as Jesus has, has commanded me. And, and so we're now motivated, not out of some rule that we have to follow, but out of the gospel and out of the generosity that we see in the gospel that our Savior has richly given and has blessed us. He showers us in his grace. Look to give to us. That is our example. That's the motivation. So Jesus didn't die for your sins to lower the standard so that you could keep back more of your money for yourself. You're like, Jesus, oh, thank you for setting me free. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin because I really didn't want to have to follow that rule about giving. That sounds like a lot, and I'd like to keep more back for myself. That is not it at all, is it? So what what he's saying is be, be generous just as Jesus was generous to us. And because of his generosity, we of all people, we should be asking not, well, all right, how much can I keep back for myself and how much do I got to give? But how can I give more? How can I be a part of what, what God is doing? How can I demonstrate, God, that this doesn't have a hold on me, that, that I'm not letting this fool me, that I trust in you, that I believe in you, and I want to be a part of what you are doing around the world? And so I would say, I would say it this way, if, if we can just get really practical. 10% of everything you've got, is a great place to start. It's a good starting point. But don't don't look at it as some legalistic rule, okay? We're not coming at you and saying, you need to give 10% if you're going to be a good Christian. No, why wouldn't you? Why, Why wouldn't we be more generous because of all the blessings that we have from Christ? And don't also look at it as an end goal. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, has said it this way, the tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. Tithes can be the training wheels 
to launch us into the mindset and the skills and the habits of grace giving. That because we have grace, this ought to help us as we're getting there. I want to be more generous with what I have, Lord. Don't give God your leftovers. Or it's like, I, I got all my things that I got to pay for, and I got my lifestyle to keep up, and like, oh, yeah, I'll give you 20 bucks. I'll give you 100. I would never give a homeless guy 100. That's pretty generous, right? Like, I'm, I'll give you something, whatever I got left over, God. No. Instead, we're going to let this uh, be the starting point. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, I've got it on the screen. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So, so if I could just encourage you in this, if, we, if, if you're ready, like, I, I got an eagerness to be a disciple that loves and follows Jesus. I want to I learn to be more generous with what I have. I'd encourage you, let's have some conversations this week. And, and let's sit down with our budget and let this be the first thing that you set aside. How much? Give generously. I just want you to know, like, this is really hard. I want you to understand that I get it, okay? In fact, Carissa and I, we were taking a walk as a family, and we were just having a conversation about this and talking about what giving has meant to us and and honestly, I grew up where my parents taught me to be giving at a, at a very young, early age. And I realized it's really hard to get into it if you've, nobody's ever told me this before. I, I didn't know or I, I, I didn't know how to do that and how to start. I realized that can be a really difficult thing to, to do. And as Carissa and I were talking about it, we, we kind of were saying like, man, if, if, if we were only giving 2 to 3%, if we only did that, I mean, that, that would be a lot easier. That wouldn't hurt so much. Like it's it's... It's kind of painful to write that check. When you see it going out, like, I just want you to know, like, it hurts. There are times it's like, oh, we could really use that. But I think there's something really healthy for our hearts when we're holding it out and saying, okay, like, I'm letting it go. This isn't just, this is yours. But it's not just some negative, like, okay, God, you got to take it. Like, this, I'm investing. God, build your church. We want to see the gospel advancing. So how much do I give? Be generous. How about this question? Where do I give? Where do I give? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give. Where should I give my money? Well, the example of the New Testament early churches that they gave locally, okay? Acts chapter 4 says they were laying it at the apostles' feet, and it was, it was distributed to each as any had need. I would just say start here. There's something special. We do this on purpose. We're not trying to hide this. There's something special about when we give our money and we collect our offerings on Sunday morning together because this is another way. We're all saying it together. Come on, let's not let this rule us. Let's not let money be a master. Let's let go of this and let's, let's, let's depend on him. Let's put our trust in him. And then we're doing it together too. We're saying to one another, we're on mission together. What we're doing here, we believe in what's happening. And so I would encourage you, start here. Start in the church. The church is God's vehicle for carrying out the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. So you better believe that we here at Harvest Fairfax, we are so serious about making disciples and planting more churches here and around the world because that is going to carry out the Great Commission and bring glory to God. So, so, so give to the church. But, but then there are others that, that, that come alongside and help the church in, in kingdom work. And there are parachurch organizations and others that are doing that. And I would say, as the Lord leads, give generously. Give to them too. 
We want to be generous with what we have. And then look at this incentive, verse 19. He says, thus, you're storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Real treasure is not this. It's when we give to invest in what God is doing. That is a wise and an eternal investment. I just got to tell you, we here in the United States are really rich. And I just was thinking about this. Was what if, what if we woke up to the mission of advancing the gospel around the world? We dream a lot here in the United States, but too often we dream of, of free time or, or exotic vacations or cruises or comfortable homes or luxury cars or, or retirement or privacy instead of dreaming about opportunities to see my lost neighbor pouring out his heart to the Lord at my kitchen table or, or to see my church piercing the darkness in our community with intentional love, taking ground from Satan, seeing lost sinners come to Christ or seeing unreached people groups who have never heard the gospel, lifting Bibles translated in their own language in celebration because now they've heard the word of God. I'm telling you, there is something so much better than holding on to this and spending it on myself trying to make myself happy. Materialism in the United States has lulled the church to sleep and we have made convenience and comfort and security our gods. But I'm asking, let's not be that. Let's be an uncommon community. Let's get passionate in our pursuit of Christ, viewing and using our riches wisely. So don't, don't, don't swing from materialism to asceticism. Instead, give to invest in the advancement of the gospel. The lostness is all around us right here in Northern Virginia. And I got to tell you, that's why we're here. That's why we are here. And I love that this is a part of our church as we think about, we've been here for five years, and there have been moments in our church where, humanly speaking, our future as a church was in doubt. Are we going to make it? Is this going to happen? We're not sure if it's, it's, it's getting really tough. And I just want to tell you, God has been at work because he's been working through you and those of you who are willing to say, my community needs a church that's going to preach God's word unapologetically, that's going to lift high the name of Jesus in worship, that believes firmly in the power of prayer and is sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. We are here because you've invested in the advancement of the gospel. And we're not done. God's not done. We want to see 100 stories of lives transformed by the glory of God, and he is doing it. How does it work? He's transforming lives. Maybe, maybe you have been touched. Maybe this church has impacted you in some way. Maybe you've met with God as we've worshiped together. Maybe your kids have been taught and hidden God's word in their hearts. Maybe you've been cared for. Somebody has prayed for you. They've lifted up your needs and they're bearing the burdens with you. Maybe you've gotten a chance to use your gifts, your spiritual gifts, and you're serving. You've been bearing fruit. Maybe you have built relationships in your small group. If your life has been impacted by this church, or if you heard the story of someone else's life who has been changed, or if you can dream of other lives being transformed by the glory of God, then let's do this together. Let's invest wisely in something way bigger than ourselves. I'm telling you, this gets me fired up as the church, that we would grow in maturity in the way we view and the way we use what the Lord has given to us. There's a story of a man named Maxi Jarman. He was a, a wealthy businessman a number of years ago. 
And he gave away millions to Christian charities. But then at one point, he had a ton of money. And, and then at one point, he ran into some really serious financial trouble. And at that moment, one of his friends asked him if he ever thought about all the millions that he had given away. I mean, you would think at a time like that, you might be, have a little bit of regrets. Like, well, I wish I could have had a little bit of that back, right? Listen to what he said. I didn't lose a penny I gave away. I only lost what I kept. That's a man that understood that he was investing in something way bigger than himself. He had gotten the vision of Christ's mission to take the gospel to the nations. And I'm asking, let's, let's have some conversations this week. Let's go back and look at our budget. But let's look at the gospel and see the generosity that we've received and say, Lord, how do we grow in this? Let's do this together. Father, I'm thankful for what you're doing. Thank you that you have uh, used brothers and sisters, servants who have been fired up for the gospel, that have been willing to invest, that know that our money is not something we can rely on. We're not going to put our hope in that. We're not taking it with us. But we want to see lives that are transformed by your glory and by the gospel. And we are a church that is still here making an impact in this community because you are working through the generosity of your saints. So Lord, as we try to do this together, sit down and look at our budgets and have some conversations. God, this is your word. We want to let you direct the way we handle it. Most importantly, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on the gospel this week. We'd be so thankful for the way that you have given, the way that you have blessed us and showered your grace upon us. And it would motivate our hearts to be more like our Savior. God, continue your work here and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.